Okay, so I just woke up from this vision. I know it's kind of heavy. In this vision, I was at this farm, and this man, he had grown um, some sort of vegetable, and I was so hungry and untrained, like undisciplined that I ran over to his farm after he had planted it. I snatched it up off the ground. As soon as it was ripe and I ate it. But directly after that, I kept getting instructions. Even before I was getting instructions, don't do that. Don't take that. Don't don't go steal from him. It's all, you know, like, it might not have been all he has, but it's all he has. And he was such a kind man even though he was a stranger and then I got instructions plant your own like there's so much open land here you can plant your own you can plant your own things and all I know is I kept thinking I don't have seeds I don't have land I don't have these things and then I was given a a square of land and some seeds all I had to do was ask and so I I started planting and things started Things grew so fast. Oh, yes, that was also one of my excuses. It'll take forever for me to grow it, but it didn't take forever for him to grow it. His grew so fast, but I didn't think it would happen for me. So I started planting, and when I planted, what I grew was a big plantain with green beans stuffed inside. Like, they, it grew like that. And I ripped it open, and I started to eat it, and it was so good it was so good it was like nothing you would ever taste here on earth it was delicious it was juicy I'm like what plant what country does it grow like this but obviously it's not here that's in heaven because how can you grow green beans as juicy and as you know packed inside of a plantain like that but it was so delicious. And I really don't even like plantains here. But I love plantains there. And it was so good. And so, you know, the man grew a watermelon. But he stood over, not even like 10 feet away from me. He stood and he he was upset. He, was a, he, did, he wasn't really, really upset. But he was just like aware of the fact that I had stolen his vegetable. And as I sat there and I ate the plantain after eating his vegetable, you know, I just got this conviction. Conviction started setting in. Like, you ate his his vegetable and now yours, yours have grown. And you haven't even thought about sharing with him or replacing what you stole. And so I took a big bite out of the plantain. I wasn't even going to care. But then bugs, it was like this feeling of like, okay, so now you have bugs all over your um, produce for stealing. And there was like little black bugs crawling all around the plantain so I couldn't take another bite. And I start trying to shake them off and it was so, they were so, it was like my hands were so soaked because the the plantain was so juicy. But it was like, no, you're not gonna keep ignoring me. Go and like make, you know, realize what you just did. So, I started seeing different things as I as I tried to plant again. I saw this entertainment center that reminded me of my old home. Pictures like a picture frame, 
and it had a picture in it. But it's like the picture kept changing and it was on both sides and it was like it was a message. It was a glass picture frame that I couldn't put down. I felt that I had to carry because I felt that it would fall and break on me or something and then glass would shatter. It was like so many different things. And um, I just saw myself going through my the bottom of my entertainment center but reaching and finding nothing. And... You know, next thing I know, I was trying to plant, and it was like something was blocking me from being able to plant. And I tried to lift whatever it was up so I can plant, and I hit the wall like I had hit carpet in the wall. Like I was inside of a room, but I was still in the farm. And I felt that there was many different people inside of me. It, it couldn't have only been me, but maybe it was a message for me. So this is what I was trying to figure out. But... I ran over to the man to give him the rest of the plantain that I had been in. And he was like, this hardly, it it isn't, he forgave me and he forgot. And he was a kind man, but he didn't forget though. But he, you know, he forgot about it. He wasn't holding it against me. But when I came over there to give it to him, it's almost as if like, you know, this barely makes up for what you did, but not because I, I just, I'm so upset that you stole, but just because it doesn't feel like you really learned your lesson about coming to take from me and you don't really feel, you know, remorseful about it. And so I've realized that, that was a direct message for me. I'm still a thief. And the Bible says that if you steal to eat, you have to work seven times over to make up for it when you start, when you start to make your own money. So... I'm just doing, I was just, I was, I realized the only way to make it up to this man was to change. Of course, yes, replace what I stole seven times over, but just like actually have remorse for my actions and care enough so that I wouldn't do something like that again to someone who didn't deserve it. And when I gave the plantain to the man, he said he gave it to my brother and my brother was there hungry. And I didn't even realize I didn't want to give him, I did want to feed him, but I guess he was saying, you might as well have gave it, given it to your brother instead of giving it to me. He's hungry too. But it was like, I just, I felt like I stole it. So I didn't want to make matters worse by giving it to my brother when I need to be making it up, making up what I stole from you. But I guess in, you know, in hindsight, waking up, what I realized was it wasn't me that took it. It was my brother that snatched it up and took it. You know, even though we may be very similar to the point where I didn't stop him. I didn't do enough to stop him from doing that. He apologized, though. I saw the remorse in his face. He apologized, and I think he took responsibility. He he must fear more what I think than maybe others. I wouldn't say that, but sometimes it seems that maybe he's fearing what I think of him, which is why a lot of times he doesn't own up to what he's doing. But maybe that's also something that God wants me to see. Maybe if I take a different approach on how he does things and when he does the things that he's doing wrong, maybe by then he'll feel He'll feel he can trust me more to tell me things 
and we can get past it. Maybe he feels that I hold grudges or I'm holding it against him or I'm, or I'm too convicting. Whatever the reason, I don't want to, you know, keep taking responsibility also because it felt as if I saw something in this man's face. This man looked as if he felt very bad for a second. And maybe that was conviction setting in to him. And I believe that that was Jesus speaking to him. Conviction set in that made him think, you know, they're just hungry. They just don't know any better. And I shouldn't hold a grudge. I shouldn't make her feel so bad. But I was wrong because I shouldn't be gaslighting him, making him feel as, I hate that word, but I shouldn't be making him feel so guilty about me being wrong. Like, I do that a lot. And I think that's manipulative where I did you wrong. But I want you to feel bad when I come and apologize if you don't immediately just respond to my apology or something. And I'm working on it, but, you know, it was, I think it was a bunch of different messages. Inside of the picture frame was a picture of Pac, and it says some words. And then it's, I didn't get to read the words before because maybe they weren't for me, but I did read the words that said, I don't get it. And I think that that was for me. And it's because a lot of times I'm just saying, I don't get it. I don't get it. What does this mean? I don't get it. And I do get it. You know, I do. I understand fully, I think. Well, maybe I'm still trying to figure it out, but I I get it, though. This is about Jesus. This is about God. This is about his return. This is about the rapture. This is about, you know, our fight mentally, spiritually against our carnal minds and forces of darkness that we cannot see we're fighting an unseen battle this is about bettering yourself this is about being the best person that you can be for jesus not just because other people are looking not not be not not you know after jesus checks you but before you know it's about wanting to do it just for jesus just for a better you and that's what Jesus cares about. Jesus isn't, I don't think that Jesus is going to care if when you're doing it, you're thinking, oh, Jesus is going to care about this. It's about being that person, just being that kind of person. And then he cares. He cares when you don't. He cares when it's just naturally who you are. So he cares about the efforts that you make to be a better person, though. But you know, doing it for him and wanting to do it all the time, not just, you know, when it's on your mind that you want to do it for Jesus. Like, let it be on all the time. Let it be who you are. Let it be who you're becoming. So I I think I got that message. And then, you know, the shuffling through my entertainment center. I think that that was a confession. And I think that, you know, I asked God what to call these visions and these messages and he said call them visions of recompense and I looked up the word recompense and it says making right on wrongs righting wrongs and so I feel that this information is coming slowly but surely and it's just like people all the other people around me everything that they've done wrong to me and everything that I've done wrong to people just coming out 
and be confessing our sins. You know, a year ago, God made me confess everything I'd ever done to everybody out loud in front of everybody. All of it, everything I could think of for a whole year. I had to expose myself. But we had talked about this years before. God said to me, if you really want to go to the next level with me, you really want to be everything that it is that you want that you can be in me that I want you to be. You're going to have to admit to everybody everything you've ever done to them. Everything, no secrets. Right to their face and accept whatever the consequences that come with it. And that was so scary at the time because I was younger. And I was thinking about the things that I had done. I was thinking about the worst things I had ever done to everybody. And I was thinking to myself, you know, I'm afraid. I'm afraid because how will they react? You know, how are they going to feel about this? You know, they probably never see me the same again. They won't respect me. They won't love me the same. And Jesus is like, whatever the case, I'll always love you. So... I talked about this before over the years. He would come to me and he would say to me. Are you ready? Are you ready to tell everybody? Are you ready to tell everybody? And one day I went to church and I got a sermon. And this is directly after God spoke to me. He said, you know, you have to tell everybody everything that you ever did. And I was just battling with that. And I went to church because I believe he led me there. And the sermon, you know, kind of was like so convicting it's almost exactly what he told me like you just have to do it and I wrote it in the back of my bible because I felt that he led me to do that this was years ago it was the only bible I had I never lost this bible I carried it with me everywhere I went and like, it's amazing how God, you know, led me to keep a Bible with me at all times as if it was like a weapon. Everybody else is keeping guns and knives and mace and tasers. And God is like, keep your Bible. So, like, I always felt the protection of that. I always felt the safety in that. You know, honestly, I did. That's why I did it. But now, years later, I've confessed everything and it hurt it so bad. It hurt so bad. And... Everybody reacting and they're still reacting. But, well, and, it's no, no buts, but and, everyone around me is, you know, having to confess, I guess, as well, just as I did. Because also something that I asked the Lord was, am I the only one who has to confess everything that I did or is this everybody? And he didn't give me a quite clear message on that. And I think the reason why is because you don't worry about everybody else. You worry about yourself. It doesn't matter if you have to be the only one confessing everything to be what I wanted you to be. That's what you're going to have to do because that's what I just told you. So he didn't really give me a clear message, a clear yes or no, whether everybody else would have to do it. But it seems as if this is the answer that you know in order for them to go to this next level or this next step or take this you know next jump of faith in God they're going to have to confess everything that they did to me too 
And so it's tough. It's a battle because a lot of people are having difficulty doing it. And I was just I was just shown so much mercy because I was forced to do it. You know, it sounds like how is that mercy? You are forced to tell everybody everything wrong you've ever done to them and then suffer the consequences of it while they got to keep their secrets. But they have the choice still to let whatever it is they've done go. And they're given as much time as needed. And it seems like that's the that's the mercy, but it's not because now that it's out, my heart has been softened. I have reached a whole another level with God that I would never otherwise have reached without it. I feel so protected, so connected, and I'm and I'm on such a new level with God. And for Him to force me to do that because He loves me so much and He wouldn't want me to miss out on this, He pretty much guaranteed my way in. And so with other people with their choices, they're them being able them having an the option to choose to admit everything that they've done and taking as long as they take or whatever they do in order to do it, they're not I wanna say they're not guaranteed a spot, but it's not necessarily a guarantee. And so that's like how God works a lot of times. It feels like that's the worst thing you could ever get and it's supposed to look like some sort of prize or a gift and it is a prize it is a gift you know I probably would have never done it on my own as I said ever since I was around like 15 or 16 years old he was telling me to do that he was urging me to do that and a lot of and God has been showing me that a lot lately like over the years he's been urging me to do things and he's oftentimes warning me and warning me and warning me and warning me and warning me about things a million different times and I I don't ever get it until things get really bad so it's a blessing because it's protection from something much worse and in my case in my situation what it is protection from is having way worse secrets to hide there are people who are out here who are really in the mindset that I'm gonna die with this secret I will never tell nobody this. I will never tell nobody what I did. That's stupid. Or they laugh at the thought of ever telling anybody what it is they did. And I was so close to being that kind of way. But God kept me, you know, right before that, like, threshold of going over to that side of things and believing it's okay to die with secrets. He kept me right there every time I almost stepped over he held me back and he said, remember, you have to confess. Remember, it's freeing to let go of these secrets. You don't ever want to have to die with a secret. It's torture every single day, every single day that you have to hold anything in, afraid of someone finding it out and everything that you have to do to continuously cover up lies in order to not be exposed for what you've done. Instead of just admitting the truth and telling someone what you did, it is torture. It's torture before hell. And you may very well be headed there depending on how comfortable you get with ignoring God's voice and burying these secrets so deep where you believe no one can find them, not even you. But the fact of the matter is God knows, God saw everything, and you know, and you're being tortured because of it. So just the freedom, the freedom of accepting everything that you are, everything that you've done and moving forward to everything that you'll be. It's a blessing. It's a blessing. And God forcing me to do that is like, 
you know, your parent, you know, forcing you to do something that they know will help you in the long run. They know will build you up to be, you know, your best self in the future. But right now you don't realize it. But later on, you will be so grateful because you'll realize it will have made the difference between life or death for you. And you can't ever go back and get those years back if you haven't done it. And if you have done it, you are so grateful. You are so grateful that those years that have passed, you know, whatever you had to go through for is done now. You have it. And you're set apart from the people who didn't do it, the people who won't do it, the people who can't even see the significance in doing it. It's such a blessing. Like, I cannot, you know, oh, my gosh, God is so great. You have no under, like, you just don't understand. God is just so great. And I believe that this vision came from one question. I was scrolling down Instagram and someone was making plantains. And I was thinking to myself, man, I've been hearing about planting so much in the past year. I wonder what kind of significance it has to God. And I asked God, is there plantains in heaven? Because I've been asking God for a while now, you know, which fruits are there? What fruits aren't there? He's like, all of them are there, but there's also more that aren't even here. So I've oftentimes I've been asking him, like, is this one there? Is that one there? What is it like? And because ever since he showed me the vision of the mango, mango is my favorite fruit. And right after the deliverance of my sister, God showed me a mango. And this was around the time they kept saying, oh, Jesus loves you. And, you know, that's your boyfriend and y'all are in love and all kind of stuff like that. And I was talking to God. I'm like, God, that's sexual morality, isn't it? For them to be trying to imply as if we are intimately or everything is you're everything with Jesus. Romantic, intimate, you're everything with Jesus. He's love. But we have a perverted mindset here. And that's why, you know, for my own personal example, when I heard that they used to kiss Jesus on the lips, men, grown men kiss Jesus right on the lips, I used to think, ew, that's gross, that's gay. But that's when you have a perverted mindset. This world has corrupted our minds. It's perverted. That is the purest form of love because Jesus is pure. Jesus is sinless. He doesn't have a perverted mindset. And so to kiss him on the lips, even as a grown man, even though he's a grown man, there's nothing to it but love. And even if it was intimate, it's still not perverted. And a lot of people like to hear that and say, what are you talking about? Like you're like, you don't know what you're talking about. That's wrong or that's gay or you're trying to make certain things okay, or you're blaspheming Jesus' name. No, I'm not. What you need to understand is that when you are not thinking of everything in a sexual manner, these things are not what you think they are. We have a perverted mindset where we're automatically connecting things to sex or going further than we just can't see love for love. We can't appreciate love purely for love. We have to connect it with some sort of sexual intercourse or some sort of, you know, different perverted things like that. And we are not automatically connecting things like that to love and intimacy and romance. It's not that. And it's freeing. We are chained to these perverted, reprobated mindsets. If every single time you think kiss, you think sex. If every single time you think hug, you think sex. 
if every single time you think man or woman, you think sex, man or man, you think sex, woman and woman, you think sex. If every single time you think sex, when it comes to intimacy to somebody else, your mind is perverted and corrupt by Satan. You should be able to lay in a bed with someone and not think that that is perverted, not not think of that in a perverted way. You should be able to, you know, be naked around someone and not think of that in a perverted way. We weren't born with clothes on. A lot of us today, we could never be in a place where no one had clothes on because our mindsets are extremely perverted and everything we look at, we look at it with lust. And Jesus says that's a sin. It's a sin to look at someone with a lustful eye. You've already committed adultery. You've already fornicated. When you're looking at them in that manner, when you're even thinking of it in that manner. So it happens in the heart first. And he's showing me that with pornography and all these different things that he's exposed inside of myself. He's showing me that even if you haven't committed it and you haven't done it physically, it doesn't matter. You've already done it in your heart. If you've done it in your heart, you're wrong. You committed murder in your heart. You ever thought about murdering someone? You ever thought about stealing, but you never stole? You ever thought about lying, but you never lied? You ever thought about cheating, but you never cheated? You ever thought about doing any of these things, breaking any of these commandments in your heart? You've already done it. You don't have to go and do it. You've done it. And God is exposing that to me on a whole different level. So this is what these visions are usually about. You know, these visions, a lot of times I'm like, God, this stuff is so wrong. You know, a lot of this stuff that's going on in these visions is so wrong, so perverted, so disgusting, so satanic, so demonic. I wouldn't even think of doing these things. And God is saying, you know, oh, but you have. And even if you haven't, this is this is what this world has consisted of and if you don't discipline your mind it won't be it will be just a short time before you have thought about doing it and if you thought about doing it if you put it in your heart you've done it so just understanding a jesus no our jesus our lord and savior who never even had these things even in his heart and even if he did he's so perfect and sinless it's only to correct or to help someone else overcome it these type like it's it's beautiful it's freeing it's really freedom it's real freedom we think we're free when we're when we're able to choose whatever we want to do and not have discipline and not have to follow the rules of the bible or not have to live the life that god has placed before us we think we're free when we're doing that you are a slave to sin you're only free in god and even when you're a slave to christ you're still free I'm free. I'm being free. I still have chains on me because I have to let go of things. But I'm being made free. And this freedom feels so great. It feels like I can't even imagine the chains that were on me my whole life. I, I can, but I can't imagine like if I had to physically see that the toll it would have taken on my body. The toll it would have taken on me to have to physically see it every day. But I know because I feel it. And, you know, I like this saying, but it's also feeling like it's fading from me. 
but it's at least we don't look like what we've been through. It's fading from me, you know, because I believe God is taking that from me because that's also a chain. You know, when you think to yourself, at least I don't look like what I've been through. Why not look like what you've been through? It's freedom. It's freedom to admit everything you've gone through. It's freedom to embody everything you were and be different now. It's freedom to embrace everything that you were, everything that you've always been and have come out of that, have changed, have made a difference in your life to be someone else and that be your past, but never feeling like you have to hide that. You should never have to hide what you were. You should be extremely proud of everything that you conquered. So why not look like what you've been through? But also look like what you are now. So look like what you're going to be. So this vision was an exposure. I feel that people must have been praying for me. I haven't had a vision like this in a while. But I feel like, you know, the Holy Spirit is here wrapping his arms around me and protecting me and covering me. And I I truly feel like I've been thinking about this for a little while. I truly feel someone has been praying for me. Someone has had to be praying for me. I've been praying, but someone has had been praying for me. But also, um, the few people that I feel that I've seen in this vision. So, when I woke up, what I saw was, it felt that a few questions were being answered, asked or answered. And it was like, I remember back in, around, this, in the, around the time I had this entertainment center, which also, you know, was in this vision. Um, I had this glass frame. And this glass frame would always fall off the top of this entertainment center. And it felt like it was always threatening a toe or threatening your head. If you were sitting underneath it, it seemed like it was always a threat because it was glass, but it was hard. And it felt like it had the, you know, potential to break, but it was hard enough that if it didn't break, it definitely was going to hurt you. But if it did break, it was so thick and it was sharp enough that it seemed like it could cut right through some sort of leg or foot or arm. So this thing felt like it was really a safety hazard. And I would always put it at the top of my entertainment center because that's where my pictures was. And it would always fall and tumble right off, but it never broke. And I realized early on that the carpet wasn't making it safe. You know, the carpet wasn't the reason why it wasn't breaking. It was just, I think, literally it was God because I used to pray. God, please don't let this frame break on somebody or fall on someone's head. Like, I feel like it would cut right through somebody's skull or something. And so then why not take it off the entertainment center? You know, I wanted it to be up there. But also, you know, looking back, I think that I used to test God in a way where I'm testing him. Like, I'm trusting you, God. 
that you won't let this fall. I, I feel like it's you. You're the reason why it hasn't broken yet. You're the reason why it hasn't fallen on someone's head yet. You're the reason why no one has been hurt yet. And, and so I keep it up there as a reminder that you are protecting me. And the Bible says you shall not test the Lord your God, but there's always, you know, God is looking at the intentions of your heart. So it wasn't attesting God in a way of, you know, are you real? Are you real? Sort of. But it more was testing him in a way of like, thank you for protecting me. I need this as a reminder that you're here to feel safe. When I'm fighting different demons, when I feel unsafe, when I feel that I'm fighting an unseen battle, these little reminders that you show me, that you give me, that you're here, I need. So it fell and kept falling. I didn't know where to put it. And that was my excuse. I don't know where, to, where else to put it. But there were so many other places to put it. But it seemed that everywhere I put it, it would just fall. It would always fall everywhere. So it may have even somehow formed some sort of like paranoia inside of me. But I forgot totally about it. Well, not really. It's, it's somewhere in my mind. But I had pretty much forgotten about it. But all I know is I saw a picture of Pac in it. And it said I didn't I don't get it, but it also said some other words before that that was I think to someone else. I saw the four I saw a four. And maybe that was a message about us always counting my older brother out, you know. It's five of us. A lot of times we treat it like it's just four. And it wasn't about, you know, for me it was never about trying to intentionally call him out but just because I felt that he didn't want to be included a lot of times but maybe that was a message to someone else because maybe they started that you know or something of that nature encouraged that out of you know spite maybe I don't know I don't want to jump to conclusion but also it felt like there was a conversation that was had like you know you always blame my mother and that will be my dad's wife for always going through your things in your room and stealing from you. But this person is afraid to admit that they were always going through your things and trying to steal from you. It wasn't just her, it was me, it was this person, it was this person. And they're just saying like, you know, she takes a lot of heat for a lot of the things that she wasn't just doing alone or maybe she didn't do as much as you thought that she did. And I was like, I felt convicted. Like, you're right, because when it comes to you, God has been very, it seems like, vocal about the difference that it makes in accepting you and forgetting what you've done and forgiving you and recognizing that you may have better intentions for me than the people I vouch for so often, as if they love or care for me more when maybe you have better intentions. So why don't I keep the same energy with your mother? And it feels that God has been screaming that at me as well for like the past year. Like oftentimes when you're wanting to think she's a villain all the time and you're wanting to hate her. It's something that you have to work out inside of yourself because sometimes or oftentimes she's rooting for you more than you even realize it. And it's something that I just had difficulty with coming to terms with. Probably 
probably because of jealousy, but I don't think that it's really jealousy, but maybe hurt. You know, it could be jealousy, it could be hurt, whatever reason. I was battling with this and I just didn't like her. So, you know, I can't always have an attitude or be upset with people for just not liking me or be jealous of me or behaving in the manner that they behave towards me when I feel that way about different people. We want acceptance from who we want acceptance from. And a lot of times we reject other people and Jesus is the opposite. He accepts all, he rejects none. So if you want to be more Christ-like, you cannot be picking and choosing who you want to forgive. So I felt that that was a message, but also, you know, definitely a wake-up call for me, something that I learned today. But still also, you know, it was a realization that was made there, you know, Around the time of everything is everything is I'm not all you know I'm not completely unaware. Around the time of everything and all these things happening, I'm not trying to use it as an excuse anymore. It's just what I've been saying all the time, but I still have yet to consider, you know, the seeds in my chest, the forgiveness. So around the time of all this happening though, Jesus gave me a message about him. Jesus, you know allowed me to dub him as my knight because he would be willing to die for me. And what I heard him say, and it sounds strong, but this was serious. When I heard him say in the midst of this battle, when everything was going on, I feel that I would hear his mother a lot and I was blaming their family for so much. What I heard him say was, no, of course I would. I'd help her because I know her. She would die for anybody. I know her. And when I heard him say that, I realized he is not an enemy. He is an ally. And so God allowed me to dub him because around this time, for I, for however long, he had been actually fighting for me when they expected him to kick me while I was down with them. So... For God to do that, I realized, like, you know, he's showing me something. A lot of times things are hidden in plain sight. Don't overlook things because you're being judgmental. Oh, I don't want this kind of help or I don't want the help from them or I don't want them to accept me or I don't like them or I'm holding a grudge against whoever I don't forgive such and such. I want it this way from this person, however, what, whatever. And these people are the ones that are treating you like trash. The ones that you don't want it from, the ones that you don't want to hear it from, the ones that you don't want to be around, the ones that you don't want to be associated with, the ones that you don't want to call a friend are the ones who are sticking up for you, fighting hard for you, and actually looking out for you more than the ones that you want your name associated with. And he told me this through... The message of NBA Youngboy not being for me at all. You know, actually being a big, responsible for a big part of the nonsense that I'm going through. And it's amazing how in this process what I'm finding is there's somebody around me who seemingly is for me, seemingly is trying to help me, trying to get me out of this situation, trying to encourage me away from this individual 
what they're saying is you don't have to change your loyalty. You're so afraid to go and deal with other situations that you know feel better, that you know you feel more appreciated, and that you know you feel like you would be better around because you don't want to change your loyalty. You think you're being disloyal, but it's not about changing your loyalty. It's about changing who you're loyal to. And so I've been around different people lately that I feel like have definitely been, you know, making me consider that seriously, forcing me to consider that seriously. Like, I'm not really being, you know, real. I'm not really being real because I'm ignoring these people that's really for me or really care about me for someone who has continuously shown and proved how they care about me and how how they disregard my life, how they disregard, you know, different things I shouldn't have to continuously repeat that are frustrating me or hurting me or putting me in compromised position. I'm suffering. You know, I'm suffering. I don't feel good here. Who don't care? Who's shown that they don't care? You know, and when it comes down to it, I don't want to let them go because in the process of everything going on, it's like I was dying in front of the whole world. This person came and sat with me. This person is the only person who ever who even came to check up on me. Everyone else came to spit on me, step on me, kick me when I was down. They didn't expect me to make it out of that situation. They didn't care if I did. This person at least came to sit with me. Even if they didn't lift a finger to help, they came and they showed that they stood with me when nobody else was around. So now I feel obligated, not even obligated, but just I feel that I have to remain loyal to them and never forget that because how messed up would it be if I say, I don't appreciate how you treat me or what comes with you, how you don't appreciate me because you feel that I'll always be here. And I switch up on them for somebody who was there the whole time, who could have lended a helping hand, who saw me struggling and suffering, who knew that that was going on. They didn't even take the opportunity to come help. They didn't see that I needed the help. They didn't care. They could have felt they didn't. They could have shown up. They they didn't. He did. And what would I look like, you know? And it feels like that's been the biggest wake-up call from God. So it's like I try not to choose sides at all. I try not to even really choose him. Because even though I am, at the same time, I'm choosing God over everything and everybody. So when it comes down to it, if it ain't true... It don't really have to be nobody else because it wasn't nobody else. It'll just be God for me. I don't have to choose somebody else over you, but also, what does that say, you know, about how you're taking my presence here for granted? It might fall on deaf ears and feel like, oh my gosh, you're always saying it's going one ear, not the other, but it's like, I shouldn't even be made to feel that way when you could put more of an effort into making me feel appreciated. Or making my presence feel more appreciated. You're allowing a lot of these things to happen. Because you feel that you can. And 
maybe that means you don't care about my presence here. It feels like when it came down to it, the proof, the evidence is who you showed up to be. But when you're not showing up that way every single day, or when you're not showing up that way for a whole year and a half, maybe two, or maybe if you don't even plan to show up any other time, Am I supposed to disregard that? I feel unappreciated. I feel taken for granted. I feel disrespected. I feel so many different things. But I'm just holding on to that one time. Not even that one time. You Like, this person may show up different times, but I'm just holding on to the fact that you showed up when nobody else did. And I don't know how to feel about it. I really don't know how to feel about it. But I think that's probably a really good lesson on marriage and divorce. Not that I'm just saying we're just married or ever going to be because that's a big part of it too. But it's like, I think that's a big thing about marriage and divorce. Your your husband or your wife is somebody that you file in front of God to be with. Till death do you part. And when times aren't going well for however long they're going, you don't give up. You don't let go. And you don't step out because someone is treating you a little bit better right now. They weren't there through the really tough times like someone else was. They don't understand like the other person may, like your husband or your wife does. They are not tied to you like that in that way. They could never understand. And if they had to be, they'd probably start treating you the same way. And even if they never did, it wouldn't make a difference. We have to learn to fight for our relationships in our life. We have to learn to stop giving up so easy. We have to learn to stop doing what's easier for us. Sometimes you will have to suffer. Sometimes you're going to have to tough it out before somebody gets better and learns to appreciate you better, learns how to treat you better. And it sounds so stupid to us in this day and age, but that's why there's so much divorce going on. You're not supposed to get divorced. That's in the Bible. And if I'm learning almost anything about the situation, it's like, Stick with the people that you love and you know you love through the hard times. Don't be so quick to give up because you never know what you will have missed out on. I wanted to give up. I wanted to run away. I wanted to let go. I wanted to, you know, get rid of everybody in my life and start fresh. And there's no telling where I'd be if I did. But I wouldn't know my purpose and my destiny in life if I did. I wouldn't be experiencing God on this level if I did. And for God to vouch for somebody, regardless of how they act or what it feels like right now, that's a anchor helping me to stay grounded to what really matters. You know, oft- another thing I've been considering is maybe he's vouching for them for you personally. That's for you personally. That doesn't have to be for everybody else. You, you shouldn't expect everybody else to get the word from God that you got even if some other people have. You shouldn't expect everyone else to see it that way. I don't, but I shouldn't lose sight of what he's shown me. I have to know who God is. I cannot forget everything that he's shown me. I cannot go venturing off and thinking, oh, it's okay to relax a little bit on these different things that God has already exposed to me because he shouldn't have to tell you or show you again. And as much as God has been showing me over the years, I warn you and I warn you and I warn you and I warn you and I warn you to protect you. You don't want bad things to happen. I don't want bad things to happen to you. So even if I allow something really bad to happen, it's still better than what could have. So 
just holding on to that, hanging on to that, and not giving up on people so easily. It's tough, but it teaches you to stick it out. Just like the family you had to grow up with. You didn't get to just switch them out every day. I know personally, growing up in a family of five, I wanted to switch them out a few times. I couldn't. I still had to come home to that same family. We learned to love each other through the good and the bad. We had to. And that'll teach you not to give up on somebody. That'll teach you to love somebody. And a lot of times, even when you feel like they're not appreciative of me, they don't care for me, they don't love me. They're going to be there when nobody else is because they have to. Your blood, your family, you're not going anywhere. And I feel that that's something that God is showing me. And I don't want to encourage that they have to think. You know, if it's toxic, it's toxic. But I think that God, a lot of times we want to believe something just because it feels better for us. We want to believe something just because we want to believe it. But in reality, you know, I believe God agrees with that. We give up too easily. We need to be sticking it out. There's no telling how many times God is so fed up with this world. He comes so close to being done with us off ever because of the wicked things that we devise in our hearts. But he's hanging in there. And when he's super, super, super angry at us, he's holding back his hand. He's forgiving us. He's sticking it out with us. He's not giving up on us. And he's not switching up. So we need to learn how to do that for each other. That's who Jesus is. That's what it's like to be more Christ-like. And that's the lesson. It sucks. It might suck. This person might feel like out of all the people, I feel that you, I could just be doing so much better. But God has already shown you who's for you. God has already shown you who they are. Everything else, you work through. Learn how to get better. Put in efforts to change. Make differences. And make it work. And oftentimes I feel this person is not being hurt. Oftentimes I don't feel hurt. Maybe it'll work itself out. But it seems like it has to. It seems like it has to. Maybe we are really locked in for life now. I don't know. I really don't know, but God doesn't ever show you anything for no reason. God doesn't ever place you anywhere for no reason. God is intentional about everything that he does. He's very intentional. So giving up is not an option. And I never really agreed with the being disloyal thing. You know, you have to change your loyalty. You just have to change who you're loyal to. Sounds a lot like change your loyalty. But... Maybe I have yet to learn that lesson, and we will see. But all I know is regardless of what comes with somebody, if God vouches for you, I trust God. Even if I feel like I can't trust you or I'm struggling to trust you, I trust God. I trust him. He hasn't given me no one else like this. Everybody else in my life that I've even grown up with who I'm willing to stick it out for even abandoned me, and this person didn't. And maybe it feel like, well, that's a small feat compared to someone who's had to deal with you for 10 plus years. Still, God don't make mistakes, as I said. 
you know, I trust him and it's not an excuse being made, you know. There's also the conversation about if this is all set up, you know, he set it up to look like he came to save you or help you or really he was never there for you, he was never really for you and he just did that for whatever reason. What reason would he need to do that for? It's a question. Who knows the reason why people do things, though? It's also another question. But, you know, none of that has to do with the fact that, as I said, and I feel like I said it a whole bunch of times, say one more time, God vouched for this individual. Regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what he's done, regardless of who he look or appears to be, regardless if he even cares at all, God has already said something. God has already, you know, given me a word on them. And so I'm fighting so hard for so many things I cannot believe in or it's hard to believe in right now. But God told me to believe in it. Like my future of being transformed into this woman that if it was so hard to come to terms with with everything I'll have to sacrifice, give up or all the different things that feels like it's not going right or going the way it should go and I'm having to suffer and get through all of that to be this woman and to become this woman and that's God showing me you got to stick out you got to stick it out you got to stick it out through the hard times for things that's for you sometimes it's not always going to be super easy you got to learn to be disciplined you got to earn it you got to become the type of person that you want to one day be it don't just happen overnight. Not the good things. It can, but it, it usually doesn't. So I'm just learning it on a whole nother level now. And as far as this individual goes, like I think I'm just gonna have to come to terms with this person maybe being one of those people who are like just always gonna be there. I don't wanna jinx I don't even like that jinx word. But I don't wanna I don't want to speak too soon or anything. But, you know, I always ask God about this. I always told God, I don't ever want to get divorced. And what does that take? What does it take to never get divorced when you see real life examples of divorce and marriage every single day? And the people that are sticking it out, either they're just so blessed to have found somebody that they just never want to ever be separated from for the rest of their life. And never had an issue or a problem or a fight or a reason to give up. Or they're fighting hard for their marriage every single day. Just like you have to die for Christ daily. Every single day you have to fight hard for your faith every single day. So you're going to have to fight hard for your marriage. You're going to have to fight hard for your family. You're going to have to fight hard for your future. It's not easy. You don't just get it. So I'm being prepared. If these are things that I want, then I have to become the type of person that deserves them. It's not going to be easy. And I've always wondered, like, how do people stay 50-something plus years? I could do it, but do I know what it consists of to be able to? And this is probably the preparation for that. So I'm seeing now so many different levels. And it is difficult. It's hard because I'm growing and I'm having to mature in so many different areas. And I'm having to trust people where I don't necessarily want to let go of control. And I'm not even saying that I'm ready to do that yet, but I'm going to put in the effort. I'm going to try. I'm not going to rule it out. 
and I'm not going to, you know, I'm just not going to give up so easily and so quickly, you know, if it was meant to be nobody, then it would have been nobody. And if I don't want to trust God, and I should have not trusted him when I needed him the most. It's amazing how oftentimes we pick and choose when we want to trust God. We want to trust him when we need him so bad when we're on our last leg. Then when we're good, we're up. We don't want to we don't want to even we want to forget how God was there for us when nobody else was. I don't want to forget that. I don't want to forget that about God, and I don't want to forget that about an individual that was there for me when nobody else was. It really just does all depend. But I'm going to just trust God on this one because he's all I have. He's the only guidance I have. Without him, I'm blind. So he's giving me sight to see. I'm going to do everything that I can to see it.